This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, always love to have you here. It's Carm Capriato. It's Aftermarket Weekly with my solo guest, Bill Nalu, Madison Heights, uh, Michigan from Interstate uh, Auto Care. Hello, William. How are you? Hey, brother. How are you doing, Carm? I'm good, buddy. You know, everyone, the majority of our podcasts are all available on YouTube. You find that by searching for Carm Capriato. That would be a C-A-R-M. Please subscribe. We're on all the podcast apps and the videos there, you know, support your ability to want to watch us just have a great conversation. We have a great topic today. I can't wait to jump in it, but we also want to thank our great, great sponsor who's been with us uh, a couple of years now. We sure appreciate the support from Dorman, sometimes coming to you live and sometimes on tape from the Dorman OE Fix Studios. Dorman Products creates hundreds of new automotive replacement products every month. Part of what makes Dorman so unique is their ideation of new and innovative products. They have dedicated teams all across the U.S., Mexico, and Canada looking for new product ideas. Since every solution starts with a problem, these teams of researchers, field analysts, product specialists, and contributors consistently visit repair shops and make field calls. Now, this is to best understand the problems the industry is facing. In certain cases, Dorman will manufacture aftermarket replacements so you aren't forced to go back to the OE. Other times, experts take it an additional step, further solving what made the original part problematic in the first place. Solving for a problem is what powers the innovation engine at Dorman. Dorman Products has become an incredible engine for innovation. They are constantly bringing new replacement parts to the automotive industry, and they routinely release tens of thousands of parts across all different categories. Now, why did they do all of this? To enable technicians the freedom to fix their customers' cars and trucks. To do this, Dorman has dedicated teams focused on different aspects of the vehicle to ensure that they are meeting the needs of the aftermarket. Although a lot of their parts are reverse engineering of original equipment, they also redesign and redefine solutions such as their loaded knuckles or programmable electronic power steering rack. Dorman has invested in these OE Fix innovations to help you save time, your customer money, and prevent vehicles from coming back to your shop. In certain cases, Dorman will manufacture aftermarket replacements so you aren't forced to go back to the OE. Hey, want to know more about Dorman? Visit dormanproducts.com forward slash tour. Hey, thank you so much, Dorman. Bill and I go way back. God, remember when we first met? We met in Detroit, and you were doing your typical Bill Nalu at a conference, and I'm trying to remember who the speaker was. Tony Mola was on stage. Was Tony Mola. Thank you. And he was one of the guys. Yes. And uh, you were uh, you were outspoken asking a bunch of questions. And I'm in the back of the room saying, I think I could make this podcast thing work. That's why I'm here. I want to meet all these great guys. I want them to come on my show. So you walk by me sitting kind of near the back of the room. You walk by me and I introduced myself to you. And that formed an unbelievably instant friendship. And you've been on the show an awful lot. Uh, been to your place in Detroit. And great family, good business. So Bill and I not only just do shows together, and he comes on often because I value his wisdom. I remember you doing this monologue, and you didn't even know it was a monologue, but you and I were just talking about pricing and customers. And I'm walking all over my house listening to you, and I'm thinking, we got to get this thing on tape. And so we're finally going to do the Why Much episode. And when people stop and think about why much, people ask, how much? And Bill loves to be able to turn that around 
into why things cost what they do and why someone would be willing to pay the price at your place because of your value prop and what you know you're going to give them. So let's dive in. I've got to say something about that first meeting. I was on the precipice of a life-changing career move. I didn't know if I was going to be in this industry any longer because I had sort of lost faith in our ability to be able to get to the conversation that we're about to have right now. And so it would be too much for me to say that you changed my life at that time. You were changing my business outlook, my business philosophy. And the interesting thing about that is I can't tell you from seven and a half, eight years ago, what the gap was between my life and my business, because they were so intertwined. My life was so invested in my work. I couldn't see my life outside of my work. But I believe you're speaking for a huge majority of any small business person. I say humbly, I say, thank you. what I do? I don't know what I did. I guess I listened to you. This is not the time to get modest, my friend. You changed. You changed my life. Well, thank you. In measurable ways. Bill, a great story. I had an issue. I went to my dad and I says, listen, I got this problem. Do me a favor, dad. Just listen. Because he was always willing within the first eight words to tell me what I should do. And I told him, just listen. Well, I talked it out for about five minutes with him. And then I looked at him and I said, thank you. Thank you so much. I figured it out. And that really changed me when I knew, knew that he needed to be a good listener. I had the answer, Bill, but I couldn't put it in the right order or the right sequence. So I think what you're trying to tell me is that when you start talking things out, you say, wow, Carm wants me to come on his show and talk about this and that. Am I expert? Am I qualified? You know, Am I worthy? And you did. Maybe that's what happened. You just had a place to speak. It was cathartic for you, obviously. Let me see. I'll send you the bill. What is the value of somebody tapping you on the shoulder and say, you know, I'm, I'm curious in your thoughts here. What have you got? Yeah, I know. And let's see what happens. And that's where we actually are right now. I mean, this is always coming full circle. I want to hear from you. Why much? And you know what? I hear about this a lot, Bill. I don't have an ego. People write to me all the time. Instant message. I get emails. It's, it's easy. Karm at RemarkableResults.biz. People can get through to me anytime. Everywhere they can see the website or any of my blogs or our emails, they just click a button and, and communicate with me. And I get a lot. And people thank me for stuff, which drives me to always sit in this chair and to think about my listener. Are they getting something of substance in every episode? Listen to learn just one thing. We're at a point where the industry has so responded to what we're doing here. And I have had to, my God, the pressure that the listener has put on me to deliver them good stuff, quality stuff, brilliant stuff. It's like, and my daughter Tracy knows, the pressure to get it right is amazing. But thank you for getting, helping me get to the point where a person I think about a lie, what would Bill say? Thank you. The thank you in itself is an exercise. I had a customer years ago. This guy was like our age, Carm, and this guy was built. I mean, this guy is like our IPEC, right? I mean, he's this guy's working out every single day. And I remember looking at him. I said, you know, you've got, this is, wait, like 20 years ago. I said, you probably have about 20 years on me. I said, man, you are in good shape. You know what he said, Carm? He didn't say what I would have said. He didn't say, oh, this Nothing. Eh, it's no nah, big deal. I do the best I can and all that other crap. You know what he said? He said, thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate it. It makes me feel good to have somebody recognize that I put in the time and effort 
to look the way I look now. And I appreciate you recognizing that. And I thought, how refreshing. The silly humility stuff sometimes is appropriate, but more often than times is counterproductive because you're spitting in the face of the person who's trying to say thank you to you. But you have to learn how to say thank you. That was something I had to learn. And I think I think you bring up something really important in my entire career. People will come on and say, wow, that was a great speech. You really thought so? I had to learn how to say thank you. I kept thinking that when I said thank you for the accolades that I was building an ego. And I really wasn't. I was just wanting to show the appreciation across the aisle for someone recognizing that it moved them or changed them or they got something from it. Why did you do it if that wasn't your intention, if your intention wasn't to be a giver? So they, wow, that was great. Thank you so much. Thanks for the kind words. Yeah. Can you imagine a person who was a homeless person and Elon Musk gave them some piece of advice, did something for them to make them a a thousandaire. And then those two run into each other again. And the thousandaire says to Elon, Elon, I just want you to know what it meant for you to help me with this. And so I'd like for us, you and I, to walk across the street to Subway because I'd love to treat you for lunch. And then Elon turns around and says, hell with that. We're going to go across the street to Ruth's Chris and then I'm going to buy you lunch. That's the way I see that. There's a time and a place where the billionaire, the billionaire mindsetter guy has to say, thank you for allowing what little I think I poured into your life to seep in. And the fact that you appreciate it, I'm going to bless this by allowing you to feel like you're the one doing something for me today. Because it's important for the receiver, the previous receiver, to be the giver in that process. There's a holy marriage there that we have to recognize. And I have to be a, become better at that because I love to give. I love to do things in culture. I mean, you're of Italian heritage. I'm of Middle Eastern heritage. We fight over the bill at the restaurant. People are laughing at us. You got two men fighting to go grab the bill because I want to pay for this. I think I've won them the last couple times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, Bill and I are both in a virtual Toastmasters called Remarkable Results Toastmasters. If anyone is interested in taking themselves up to a new level of communications, Carm at RemarkableResults.biz will check it out and maybe give you a chance to get in that uh, virtual Toastmasters. So, Bill, let's jump into what I think is it's just a perfect topic. Why much? Well, you know, Carm, in, in our conversation, we've been talking about there's a book idea in my head. And I feel like the book is building itself out in the stories that I've accumulated over 35 years in this, in this uh, wonderful industry that's given me everything that I have today. And the thing that just keeps coming up for me, and more so right now, we're in the middle. I guess, let me, let me preface this. You, Mr. Shop Owner out there, if you're listening to this and you don't get anything new out of this, then maybe I'm wasting your time today. Maybe the message isn't for you. Maybe the message is for you to deliver that to somebody that might appreciate what I'm about to tell you today. And so I ask you the question, where are you at today right now? And I don't mean today in terms of career. I mean, I mean, like this week might be a week that car count is down. And what happens to us physiologically? We start to tighten up. All of a sudden, the thought of ruling the world and getting the second and third or 12th location isn't quite as interesting as it is this week. Because this week you're thinking, man, I've got a stack of applications, people wanting to jump ship from where they're at and coming to us and what have you. And so all of this is going on. And so I ask you to spend the next 10 or 15 minutes 
maybe revealing some information that maybe Karam and I are going to bounce back and forth with each other. And if not, maybe I can change your mind about being the cheapest person in town. One of the stories that I, I love telling is, is I had a chance to speak in front of a bunch of shop owners a few years back. And I raised my hand. I said, how many of us here are proud to be the most expensive people in our marketplace? Every one of the shop owners, and they were all men, unfortunately, there's not a single woman in the room because had there been, I suspect that she would have understood that I was bluffing at that point. Everybody raises their hand proudly and they're like, yeah, I'm not going to apologize for being the most expensive guy in town. And I just shook my head and I thought, how disappointing is this? Why do you people think that you're the most expensive guy in town? My prices might be up at that higher tier, but price and expense are completely different things. And we have to get that as an industry. You can have the highest price in town, but still be the cheapest option for that customer. And I could go on for days explaining, telling the stories that I have accumulated over the years and that you have accumulated over the years. That customer that comes in the door asking how much for a transmission, and it turns out they've got a plugged exhaust system and all this, 17,000 other different calls that come in that start that way. And so one of these, these facets that sort of gets me to where we are today is that we have a binary mindset. And it's not different than what we see in politics. You're either on the left or on the right or Republican or Democrat, red or blue team. And we have this mindset that says that I either give, I give no prices over the phone. And my answer, my standard answer is no, we don't give prices over the phone. And then there's folks that'll say, well, no, you price transparency. We're going to throw it all up on the website and we're going to tell them exactly what it's going to cost. Just like shopping for a car, because, you know, shopping for a car is as generic as auto repair, right? It's very simple that way. And so I'm here to say that it's neither and yet both at the same time. There has to be the training that you have to invest in coaching, in consultation, in getting together with fellow shop owners. And then if you do enough of that, Maybe, just maybe, you'll hear somebody say something like, you can say yes in a no. And so in the example that I, that I was giving you earlier about pricing, what would happen if a customer said, how much for a transmission? You could say, well, I can't give you a price on that until you come in. One is a no. You could say the exact same thing and say, yes, I could absolutely give you a price for that. Would you prefer the Tuesday morning? The two, would you prefer to bring it in Tuesday morning or would you prefer to bring it in Tuesday afternoon? And then you'll find out that 90% of customers just go with you and understand that they're asking a question. This is the only question they're asking is how much. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a different thing. All of a sudden, your conversion rates go through the roof. All of a sudden, you understand that you're in the business of context in the middle of a world that is just wanting to choke itself in content. And so the book idea really is the why much and the how much. And it has been proven to me, this has become a religion to me now, that I've never delivered anything to a customer as cheap as I can possibly do it. No, I've never met a customer who's willing to allow me to do something as cheap as I can deliver it. And I challenge you to give me an example because you can't. Because I have, you have friends, family that you've done things for free and they thought that was too expensive. They thought, well, yeah, I appreciate you doing this car repair for me, but the least you could have done is you could have at least given me your car as a ride. I had to go and get an Uber to go back and forth to work. How dare you? You know, we're family, all this other stuff. And so it leads me to the point that is that with the economy being what it is, Warren Buffett's famous quote, you know, only when the tide goes out, do you realize 
who's been swimming naked. And so I caution you because we're in a place at this point that where the economy is going to tighten up. And so if you're busy right now, or if you're starting to slow down, you might as well jump on board right now. Get on board with the idea that you're going to have to be on your P's and Q's. Start learning all of the tactical stuff that has to do with who you are as a person. If you don't truly believe that you are the cheapest option for their customer by providing good service for good money, which is as cheap as it gets, it's, it's what I've called transactional gravity. If you don't believe that, how in the hell are you going to convince your people to be able to explain that to the customer? And oftentimes, 90% of the time, that's just the way it goes. It just happens organically, and it's a disaster over the phone. Do you hear no's? Carm, you and I have talked about us doing consultation with Iron Fist Marketing, Stan Stokes, and, and we're employing AI to listen to all the times that we say no on the phone, right? It's astounding. I mean, I thought we were pretty good. And so I go back to you, shop owner out there. Listen to how many times you or your people are putting up barrier after barrier, hoops in front of the customer to jump. And some of it is just foolish pride. Some of it is intentionally wanting to qualify the customer in a timeline that is completely inappropriate. This is not the time over the phone to be educating and spending 15, 20 minutes with a customer that you just met seconds ago. You're supposed to book the appointment. You're supposed to get them from the phone to your shop so that they can see who it is that feeds life into that building, the legacy and the philosophy that drives this business. We'll make that sale when the customer believes in you then. You're not going to do it over the phone. That's just my personal experience. And we can have that debate in future conversations. But that's sort of where we are with this stuff. And the the other part of that is fear. How expensive fear is to us. When we start becoming fearful, when we start listening to credit markets tightening up and we got to be careful here and be careful there, the minute you walk out of the office, you don't think that your people are going to see that fear in you. And so again, it's one of those things where a leader that's been around the block a couple of times has the Friday huddle and says to everybody, hey, guys, anybody here afraid of what's going on right now? In case you're afraid, just know that we're capitalized for this. We have enough cash on hand. We have enough money. And more importantly, we have a plan on how we're going to respond from this slow week or slow month or whatever is going on here, whether it's construction or whether it's whatever is going on. The leader has to be able to say, we've been here before and we're going to get out of this just like we've done before here. Bill, how many customers respond to you explaining that you will ultimately, at the end of the day, be the cheapest, even though you may have a higher quote than someone else? It's astounding, Carm, and it has nothing to do with car repair. It's like some of the greatest people that I know in my life are shop owners and people who do what we do for a living. You've met thousands of them, and all we have to do is tell the stories, tell their story before it becomes their story. Customer comes in the door. Like This is a perfect example. This is my favorite conversation to, ha- to be had with customers. They're looking for to buy a used car. And so invariably, they'll ask me a question like, well, what kind of a car should I buy, Bill? And all of a sudden, the answer that I say to them is it's not the car. It's the person who owns the car. Because the person who owns the car is far more important in this equation. You can take a Honda Accord 
Toyota Avalon, right? Some of the most reliable cars that we would know of, right? You could take a car like that that's been mistreated and it's a much worse car than, I'm not going to name names. We don't want to disparage brands out there, but you could take the worst car that Consumer Reports has on its list. And if it's been taken care of, that's a much better car. And so the analogy that I use is if you were going to adopt a pet, a dog or a cat, would you want to know if the reason that this dog or cat has been given up is because it bit somebody? Or it hurts somebody. Would you want, would that be an important thing for you to know? And of course, 100% of the customers would say, yes, that's an important thing. Well, then why are we not vetting the person who's been taking care of this car? Why don't we ask questions like, how long have you had the car for? Well, I'm the original owner. Okay, great. So this 15-year-old car. So I'm assuming that this title is in your name. And it goes back 15 years, right? And so what do you hear? You'll hear something like, well, no, it belonged to my aunt and my aunt passed away three years ago. And so now, I, so you've been driving your dead aunt's car for three years. The whole thing starts falling apart. And so when we train customers to vet people who are providing services first before they start asking prices, all of a sudden the, re- the relationship changes. All of a sudden now they understand this isn't somebody who just takes care of my car. This is somebody who's teaching me how to become a better consumer. It's a completely transcending relationship at that point in time. I become the consultant to everything transactional. And the, uh, there's another part of this, Carmen, as you're taking some notes here. How many of us shop owners are hypocrites? How many of us have no problem saying to the customer, well, the reason we charge what we charge is because we learned to turn wrenches. We had to go to this remote village in the Alps to learn how to turn that metric, that 10 millimeter metric wrench just the right way. You know, I had to send people out for that. But when it comes to our suppliers, the first thing we say to them is that $9 rotor that you're selling me is I can't sell it. So you know what I need you to do for me, Carm? I need you to sell me a $7 rotor because I can't compete with the guy that's doing a $99 brake job down the street. So it's easy for us to want top dollar from our customer because we we deserve it. We don't want to say to the supplier, hey, by the way, I want you to charge me good money for good parts. I want to pay you more money for better parts because the parts that we're getting right now aren't cutting it. How can I help you gain the confidence? How can I get more shop owners to tell you that we need better parts for more money? Because I can sell better parts for more money much easier than having to answer a customer about why I'm stalling the third compressor and we're still having a problem with this car here. Thank you for bringing up the supplier thing. I would love to go on a rant about that because, you know, a lot of my background is in the distribution side of the business, even though we had our own shop and, and, and a lot of other things in my business life. Bill, you're so dead on. I want to do an episode and I don't know how to formulate it or get it together. Do I bring shop owners on? Do I bring suppliers on and talk about the supplier relationship? I want a free jacket. I want free food. I want a free trip. I want free training. And But I still want free parts and cheap parts and crap parts, and I want it driven over instantly. I've always believed this, that there's a partnership that has to be developed between you, the shop owner, the service professional, and the supplier, and it needs to be incredibly valued. And there needs to be an exchange of information on both sides so that he stays successful and in business, and so do you. It's a business. It's not an adversary thing. Anyway, I'm off my little soapy right now. <laughs> oh, by the way, let me, let me tell you my inspiration by everything you're saying. The book, How Much, How Transactional Gravity Will Make a Difference. There's your subtitle on the book, by the way. 
<laughs> I just thank you for your inspiration there. Yeah. How do we teach others in our industry to have more self-respect for themselves and for this industry? Conversations with God has a passage, one of my favorite passages. It says, betrayal of yourself in order to not betray another is betrayal nonetheless. It is the highest form of betrayal. And what that means to me is that when I say no to me, or when I say yes to somebody at the expense of me, that my little me, my little me at three o'clock in the morning, that resentful part of me that feels like, I don't know, they didn't accept what I was given, right? They didn't listen to me, right? That resentful part of me will haunt me for the rest of my life, not just at three o'clock in the morning, because that little me is going to say, where was I in this equation? Why didn't I count? Why did you put yourself over the edge? And, and I saw this, Carm, I saw this in my father years ago. He would do one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. And he would do this and he would, he would do this for friends and family. And he would do this because he was a giving person. But the problem was, is he would do it with conditions internally, not even necessarily sharing. And then he would set himself up with disappointment. And I won't go into them. It happened so many times that I, I got a front row seat at seeing this. And I thought, now there's a lesson in being forthright and saying to somebody, this is how far I'm willing to go. Like, I've got a good friend of mine. His name's Joe Mazur. He's a, a great shop owner here in Michigan. And I remember one time asking him for some advice. And he said, Bill, I'd, I'd be willing to help you and all this other stuff. And Joe said something really, really important for me. Never had a shop owner tell me this before. He said, Bill, he said, you can call me anytime you want. He said, but Bill, there'll be some times I won't be answering your call. And the reason I won't be able to answer your call or help you at that time is because I'll be spending that with my wife and my family. Nothing gets in the way of my wife and family time. And I just sort of just like, I fell back in my seat and I thought, now here's somebody telling me the conditions in which they were able to help. And, and if I'm willing to accept it, then I should be grateful for that. But if I'm not, do you think Joe's going to lose any sleep over that? Joe's living his dream and he's trying to help me live mine. And if I think, oh, well, he's not, there could be a place where I could say, well, he's clearly not able to help me. And there are times when the person who's asking for your advice is looking to do everything they can to sabotage what you're trying to help them with. Because what they're going to say is, well, Carm said he was there for me, but I called him at, I don't know, 1.30 in the morning when I was in crisis. And lo and behold, his phone was off. Son of a gun. He's not as helpful as he said he was going to be. Well, he gave you the condition as to why he wouldn't answer. And I do have a problem with the fact that if the phone's not on at one o'clock in the morning for you, you, you can't get upset. I mean, people's lives need to go on. We need to sleep. We need to do things. But did that wife time, family time resonate with you? Did you change because of that? Yeah. I'm trying to change, Carm. I'd be lying to you if I said I've solved it. Have you solved your workaholism? Did you know that I had that? No, I can't tell at all. No, not that anybody would share that. And don't ask Tracy or Ann, please, because I'll get rooted out there. I don't want to. But that's the beauty of being in that stream, being in that stream, in that network that says, just pick up one thing today. And in a full circle moment, that's the, that's really my message to the person who knows it all and who's heard it all. If everything that you've heard today is nothing new, let me tell you, there's nothing new that I'm telling you. I'm literally regurgitating things that I've learned. There's nothing original about any of this. Yeah, but the beauty of it is my whole life, I know. The common sense applies, intuition applies, heard that before. But sometimes you have to be in the right place at the right time with the right condition in the right moment for it to finally go bing and it comes in and it works and you own it. And now you get on your own box and you say, let me tell you about this. 
Even though you haven't practiced this in years, you haven't shown that you could do anything like this. And you know what? It takes a long time and a lot of maturity, Bill, to want to admit. It took me a long time to admit that I didn't have all the answers. What a stupid leadership move. I finally had to go out and say, listen, I don't know. Let me get you an answer. I always thought I had to have an answer. Did you ever think uh, your people come to you and you always had to have an answer? Because, whoa, you're the businessman. You've been here for so long. You feed all these families. You must be odds, all-knowing, all-seeing. And when you admit that, your life can start to change. It will change. The power in the question is so much more important than the power in the answer, I find. When you're describing that, what I'm hearing in my head, Barry Barrett, Clint White, what is a, a seasoned consultant? Forget about service writing. Forget about this is completely outside, even go taking it out of sight. What is a therapist? What does somebody do when they're on the phone with another person, they're trying to help them? Do they give them the answer or do they try to get them to the answer? And so that leading question that says, will you let me help you save yourself some money since you're asking about price and there's only one proper answer? Yes. Hell yeah. I want you to save me some money. Why are you doing it this way here? What do you hope to accomplish by getting 10 different prices from 10 different places here? Why not figure out whether you're dealing with the right person who actually understands what you're trying to accomplish here? And that's the jumping off point. That's the point where you hope, you think that you've got somebody's commitment to say, okay, I'll go with you on this, but I'm only going to give you five minutes. You got five minutes of my attention. Any more than five minutes, I'm jumping off. I'm hanging up on you. And it's no different than a suicide prevention hotline. I'll be on there with you until you jump off. Once you jump off, I can't come after you. But until then, I think I've got your attention. I think we have a conversation that we can engage in, a substantive conversation. So, William, you're on the phone with the customer and you say, and this is all about how much, how much, how much. And then you say, listen, for listen, I'd love you to come in Tuesday at eight o'clock in the morning and we're going to check this thing out and find out what you really need. No, no, no. I just want price. Listen, what are the goals? What are the goals for your vehicle? Safe, reliable transportation in that area. I mean, you're moving the kids around. You need to have it on call, on demand at all times. You need it to last so many more years. What are your goals? And I believe, to your point, when you start asking people the goals for this particular repair or this vehicle, you can start getting them off of the how much syndrome and maybe start hearing, I think you need to be clever enough to, but okay, is it money? We got financing. You know, to your point, Bill, and never saying no, but constantly offer options to get that individual to come in and let them say, wow, I love the bedside manner of this person at this repair shop. Ever complain about a bedside manner for a doctor? Some of them, they only talk organs. They don't talk people, right? And the same, same with many of the technicians that are now on counters today and or they, or they own their shop. It's very difficult to have a people discussion and to realize that you're giving to people. You're trading. I'll do this service. You give me money. It's not cold. It's warm. It's Bill Nalu, philosophical guy who cares so much about the human element and what you're doing. At the same time, Bill, you have to be profitable. You have to have financial goals. You, you have to feed all the families that you're responsible for. You got to pay the heat and the light and the rent. And then you got to provide for your retirement. So th there's that balance that I believe, to your point, starts when the phone, when you say, hello, Interstate Auto Care. I'm Bill. Can I help you? Yeah. It's like, this is a male-centric industry. I mean, there's no question about it. Our female shop owners, our women in auto care are coming on like gangbusters. We can't be more proud of that. But this is still a largely male-centric. And so I speak to particularly the males in this here. This is a courtship. This how much thing is a courtship of sorts. 
How appropriate is it for you to engage in a, with a customer over the price of something and not challenge them respectfully? In the dating world, how effective is it to walk up in an establishment, a restaurant, a bar, whatever? Imagine walking up to a woman and saying, hey, how much? Right? I mean, best case scenario, you get slapped. Worst case scenario, you get punched in the face and you should be missing some teeth. Right? Both of them are appropriate responses by in that regard. And I'm exaggerating. I'm going there. And the reason I'm going there is because it's exactly as inappropriate to allow. You are the service professional. It is inappropriate for you to allow the conversation to start there. There has to be some methods. It has to be some training. Get whatever coaching you need to exorcise this, this demon from inside you that, that wants to answer that just so that you can figure out that this is the wrong customer on the phone. Really? That's not a wrong customer. We haven't established that yet. They're asking the only thing that they can ask at that point in time. Teach them. Help them. To not ask such an inappropriate question that early on. I love it, Bill. What a great conclusion. We could go on forever. Maybe we need to do a part two. I'm not sure, but people only know how to say how much. And we need to take them off off of their top dead center to use a pun inside of our industry and learn how to do that. You're so right. You are the most philosophical guy that I know in this industry. So thank you for that. One of the things that I want to share with the audience, you always talk about your dad. He taught you a lot. Just share with the audience what your dad did for a living. I I don't know if enough of them know. My father was in the FBI and he was in, there was nobody who could tell who he was talking. He was an incredible judge of character. He could just five seconds and he would know what kind of a person he was dealing with at that point. He had this incredible, uncanny ability to be able to just see. And I don't know how he did it, but I'd like to think I got a little bit of that. And the more I realized that we're in the character building business, that we are in the business of measuring character and being with people of character, that that is that transcends all economies. There's no downtime in engaging people that are so damn interesting that are willing to tell you when you're full of crap, when you deserve it. That And my father was a very politically incorrect. He would just tell, but he would have been a horrible business owner because he didn't know how to be diplomatic. And then maybe that's the other part of that is you, Mr. Shop Owner, have this chip on your shoulder because you are that damn good. You can fix everything and you deserve everything that you've gotten to this point. And the reason that you might have not been able to flip the switch and get to that next level is because you just haven't figured out yet that you need to be a little bit. Sometimes diplomacy is better than being right. Sometimes it's, and if you're a married guy, you would really understand. And if you're a divorced guy, you'd understand it even better. Diplomacy is king in this regard. I don't recall a course that was taught by the church, high school, college on diplomacy. I just don't know that. I think that is something that many of us hard-headed, stubborn, I'm Italian and you're Middle Eastern, we have to learn that on our own, sometimes in an extremely hard way. How come yes, dear, isn't in the Bible? That should have been. (laughs) Yes, dear. Bill Nailu, Interstate Auto Care, Madison Heights, Michigan. My friend, thank you so much for this. Thanks, brother. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.